Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Well, Hanukkah starts Sunday. Christmas, of course, is next week. Kwanzaa begins next week as well. We're definitely in the holiday mood right now. And you have you have instantly stumped me. I'm just going to divulge that right now. What you asked me this week was addressing a, a Christmas carol that, that many of us know. Um, you asked me, what does God rest ye merry gentlemen mean? Uh, first of all, I have absolutely no idea. Second of all, I've never actually even wondered what it meant, which seems ridiculous uh, considering I have no idea what it means. So please <laughs> tell me. I'm gonna, can I start, Ross? I was just going to say the key to understanding what it means is the comma. There's a comma in, the, in, the, in that line, and that is the key issue. Can you guess where the comma goes? Wow. Uh, I guess I would have guessed after rest? No. No, of course not. God rest, God rest ye, right? God, God no. no. Oh. Keep going, Fletcher. Mary? Keep going. Does it go after Mary. Yes. Okay. So, so God rest ye, Mary, gentlemen. Correct. Okay. I only, I mean, I only put it after what three different words, so I think I'm good, in good shape. You there. were close each time. <laughs> but, but once I got, once I finally got there toward the end after Mary, it started to make a little bit more sense. Okay, so Fletcher, now let's try. Now that we have the comma correctly placed, now try to tease out the sense. So, uh, uh, be 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 merry, gentlemen. Right, God. God uh, leave you in good spirits. That's actually pretty getting close. close. That's pretty good. Rest, in this case, more means what the French rester means, which is stay or remain in, a, uh, in such a state. So it is God keep you merry. Now, merry here doesn't mean the merry, usually what we take as merry. It means more of a bountiful, abundant, prosperous in effect, be... I thought it meant content, really. Content, it means, like, remain yes. content. So it's God keep you content or happy, comma, gentlemen. I have a problem with this. I loved this Christmas carol as a kid. And I always had a vision of these um, sort of medieval men going to a uh, beautiful sort of tavern and Christmas sort of feeling to it with a bright fireplace and dressed a little bit and having a glass of ale and finding out years later what it really meant was was very disappointing to me well the thing that gets me is almost everybody thinks that the comma comes after ye it's merry gentlemen god rest ye it's like i think most people think it means relax merry gentlemen <laughs> doesn't it don't don't you think that's what most because almost everybody puts the comma in the wrong place which is where i get very pedantic and always like that's one where I do become grammar police, and I always like say it's actually after the Mary, not after the ye. Well, honestly, so that was my first instinct was to put it after ye, but since you were asking me, that's why <laughs> I thought that might not be where it went, so that's <laughs> no, why I no. put it after rest. Of you course, hyper-corrected, yeah, of Fletcher. Course it out, I was wrong about rest as well. Um, but again, again, it, it does make more sense once you put it after Mary. It really does. It does. I'm going to throw a couple of minor grammatical quibbles out here. Technically, the ye should be you, 
because it's in the accusative and the accusative in the accusative case it's like god keep you guys merry gentlemen so it should be you not ye ye was the nominative although later on it kind of like merged into both but there's a inconsistency because god rest ye merry gentlemen let nothing ye display it should either be both ye's or both you's because it's the same form of the word you and in one case, usually it's written, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you display. I'm, so, I'm sorry, is it display or dismay? Dismay. I'm sorry, dismay. I'm <laughs> looking at the display of the computer screen. Dismay, yes. Well, interestingly enough, in, um, in Dickens, in, in Christmas Carol, he says, God bless you, not ye. It's you both times. But he has the comma after the you. He has it wrong. I don't think Carol. he understood that. Uh, the meaning had changed at that point. I think he took merry gentleman to be merry as as, a, as a, an adjective to gentleman. I think he had But he it changed it to bless instead of rest, too. It was God bless you, merry gentleman, which is a completely different. I think, yeah, I, he changed it completely. I think so. I don't think mm. he understood the original meaning that we understand now, so... We're better than Dickens in that one aspect. People were already misunderstanding what it meant then. How far back does this carol go? Um, I think 1548. Yeah, some, somewhere in the 1500s. Oh, no, it was first published in the 1800s. But the phrase, rest you marry, appeared according to OED back in 1548. Okay, so so that that phrase, uh, leaving aside the carol itself, that phrase has been around for, what, five, almost 500 years. Yeah, the Carol, though, I think, is, is, as Kathy said, is, is, is more recent. Oh, I'm going to throw us something else, too, in the Carol. Um, the, uh, I think it's the third verse, has the shepherds at those tidings rejoiced much in mind and left their flocks a-feeding in tempest, storm, and wind. Mind wind. and wind. <laughs> wind. And th- that's the one fascinating thing about Christmas and Christmas carols is a great source of fossilized English words and pronunciations because we keep we, we don't want to change the carol. We may change how we speak, but we don't change what we sing. And in that case, which we'll have to talk about one time, there was something called the Great Vowel Shift and vowels switched their pronunciation in English. And when this carol was initially written, which is why I do think it probably dates back to the 1500s, mind and wind rhymed wind was called wind in those days mm-hmm. oh that's fascinating mm-hmm. well speaking of of just fossilized words the other one that occurs to me is in deck the halls with boughs of holly you troll the ancient yuletide carol and and how often do, have you ever heard the word troll used in that way so what does that mean uh troll means to sing heartily <laughs> very good <laughs> we have so many meanings for that word at this point i think uh, that one should come back mm-hmm. yeah, well, we were talking no, about right, troll being used in a modern sense a couple of weeks ago you know in the sense of being a troll on uh on the internet now we have a different meaning of troll so um you you mentioned the the different meaning of of mary as being sort of content or maybe even bountiful is that where we get merry christmas and are we are we sort of misunderstanding what that originally meant to well there's a big debate about mary and merry christmas the queen says happy christmas because she feels that mary has um it does mean bountiful but there's also a sub meaning that meant sort of drunken uh, revels. It's not well, like mildly drunk, though. I always thought it did enter into the English language as drunken revels, and that sort of merry, which I don't think the Queen wanted to um, to have associated with Christmas. Also, there's an early uh, sexual 
uh, meaning to marry, marry bout was either a drinking session or a slang for uh, sexual intercourse. So I think probably the queen didn't like that connotation. So it was a little more raucous than we take it now. Although, yes, but at the same time, the major meaning wasn't. The major meaning is, as Kathy was saying, content, bountiful, prosperous. Merry England, you know, that old phrase, Merry England, meant a prosperous, abundant England. Because the first Merry Christmas is in the 1500s in the OED. But then, and that was like the whole time with like Henry VIII and, and, and the, new, the new church and blah de blah But then as time went on, because of Puritans and stuff, you start getting the merry as the drunken revels and stuff, and it became sort of politically incorrect. No, although the merry, though, as drunken revels, actually the word was used for drunken revels in the 1500s as well. But I'm saying Merry Christmas was still big for a long time. Oh, it was. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, in that sense, you're right. You're correct. But I'm saying Merry Christmas as a, as a salutation used at Christmas was goes back to at least the 1500s. Oh, certainly. And the one example I had was uh, a letter to Thomas Cromwell um, when he was wished, they said, the Lord God sends you a Merry Christmas and a comfortable to your heart's desire. No, you're right about that. But I'm saying even then it did have like a slight, I mean, you could you argue that the word Merry had a double meaning. The major meaning was you know, good, but there was a slight tinge of the opposite as well. Okay, because now I'm curious, because all I had seen was that the at the mildly intoxicated sort of merriness was more coming with Queen Victoria. No. That prior to that, it wasn't as much. Uh, probably not as much, but it certainly, I found uh, instances from the uh, 1500s where it did refer to uh, licentious behavior as well. Oh, really? Yeah. The problem we always have with language, though, is... We don't know. We don't have like Google engrams to decide who's used it what way more or whatever. But I did find yeah. evidence of it being used in a negative way very early. I'm trying to find it right now. Yeah, I'm curious because most of the things I mean, I did have Mary as a euphemism for drunk periodically, but most of it was making Mary. And it was a sort of it was it was more just jovial, you know, like, oh, yay, kind of thing. As opposed yeah, more to like slightly drunk. Yeah, I agree with you. But I did find a couple of sexual ones that were um, earlier. Oh, really? That's interesting. So making merry would would have been like, you know, like rolling in the hay, so to speak? Yeah. I take it back. The other earlier ones are drinking. But I found a 1780 a woman, is it proper to ask a woman of decency for a merry bout? Which I think clearly... But maybe he meant have a quick glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you know, words have a lot of, I mean, they take on a lot of meanings. And I think Kathy is correct. The basic meaning was good. And then it, it, it did acquire a slightly tipsy thing, but it didn't mean drunken revels. It meant tipsy revels, happiness. And then the Queen and the Puritans both seem to f- feel and have felt that Christmas should be more sober and a, a gentler kind of happy. Incidentally, though, I didn't realize this, that Merry Men and Robin Hood's Merry Men is was a standard phrase and i always thought again that they were kind of merry but apparently it just referred to followers of a knight it didn't have anything to do with being happy and merry so all those laughing robin hood are not really related to merry in that sense well friar tuck was merry though in our sense damn it i'm saying yes, I, I know it <laughs> i'm gonna throw out just one quick thing to see if you guys know this was really interesting. Do you know the origin of the word Mary or that Mary is the word Mary is related to bra and pretzel? All three words have the same origin, which I did not know. Mary comes from an old English word, Murray, 
which came from the uh, Proto-Indo-European word. One of the this is when basically speakers of all virtually all the European languages live somewhere on the steppes of uh, Asia, and the word meant short. And basically, it migrated the meaning into like I guess in a short time, you know, pleasure is fleeting. So it became merry in the sense of things that are short usually are good, and we don't we want more of it. So it became pleasant tasting, cheerful handsome and good then from the word also came to brachia which means the short part of the arm and then from the brachia bra came to meaning something that's attached to the uh, body to support breasts and then pretzel came from uh, latin brachium arm brachia tellum and then the appearance of folded arms being a pretzel so you could say pretzel christmas Bra Christmas or Merry Christmas. <laughs> Holy moly. I like that one. That's wild. Mary has gone through a lot of changes. You bet. Something else we hear often is Happy Holidays. And there is a segment of the population that gets fired up uh, about hearing that rather than Merry Christmas. My guess is that phrase goes back quite a ways. Absolutely. That's fascinating because so many people that are against it are saying it's anti-Christmas, war against Christmas, blah, blah, blah. But Happy Holidays comes from uh, rel- the religious, it, it stems from religion because holiday is from Holy Day, obviously, and when you think about it. So, I mean, it's, you're not, it's not at all secular, really, at its roots. Well, actually, you can almost argue that Happy Holidays is more religious because the holy days would be the season of Advent. Right. Four Sundays before Christmas, you know, the, the Sundays before Christmas as well with fasting and all of that. So you could argue really, you know, it's it's not only fine, it's actually quite religious. I'm not restricting myself to Christmas. I'm going to do the whole, the whole thing. So, I mean, I think this all gets politicized and gets silly. I think Kathy and I both have something, uh, because we're Greek in background, and we've heard... and. Our religious background tends to be a little different from mainstream, you know, Protestant and Catholics in America. And I, one of my pet peeves has always been uh, people being against the X. In- oh, don't get me started on that one. That makes me see red. You you know that, Fletcher. The whole thing when people go Xmas, like put the Christ back in Christmas and Xmas is just horrible. It's replacing the word and you blah, blah, blah. You know that, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. The X is a high. C-H-I in Greek, which is an X, and it replaces Christ in two ways, because Chi is the initial for Christ in Greek, and, and it's also a cross, which is the symbol of Jesus Christ. I mean, to put it as briefly as possible. So it's very religious. And I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen if, in some churches, you see like what looks like an X and a P. Have you ever seen that in religious icons or whatever? Sure, yeah. It's not XP. The P is an R in, in Greek. It's Rho. Right. So it's He Rho, which is the first two words of Christmas. So it's extremely religious. I remember once, I just felt like screaming. This young girl was saying, we've got to put the take the X out of Christmas. So I explained it. And she goes, yes, exactly what you said. We've got to take the X out of Christmas. I felt like, ah! <laughs> Never explain etymology to someone protesting on the street. I'll give you a high, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that just fascinates me, though, because there was a survey I saw, and I think it was, um, it was over 50%. It was 59% of people that self-identify as, evang- as evangelical said that they think Xmas instead of Christmas is offensive. It's just like, how can you not know this? We were talking about happy holidays, 
Merry Christmas and Season's Greetings. That's another interesting aspect of uh, Christmas greetings. Um, apparently, a lot of presidents use Season's Greetings to be more inclusive. So again, we go back to the argument, what, what should we say Merry Christmas? Should we say Happy Holidays? Should we say Season's Greetings? Apparently, Eisenhower and Kennedy voted for Season's Greetings, sort of generic. But that gets into away from etymology and into more what language is. I don't have any problem with any of those. I think the other thing we had is as Greek Americans, we technically celebrated Christmas on the old calendar, which was different than the how regular Americans celebrated Christmas. So people would say Merry Christmas, and technically we shouldn't be responding in that sense. You still have that in some countries. Like the the, the, the Epiphany is still the key gift-giving day. I mean, the focal point still. I mean, you've got Christmas, but then it leads up to the Epiphany. Yeah, and or the old calendar, you know, et cetera. Like in Ukraine, I think they're celebrating two Christmases they've officially recognized now. One, the traditional old Orthodox Christmas, and one, the modern European Christmas. I think it gets really silly, though. I, I, I'm more interested in have fun looking at the word origins of these things and just following. Well, the thing that gets me, though, again, like last with Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings was initially really used for Christmas, too. It wasn't it, like the people that say, oh, that's like you're not talking about Christmas. It was traditionally used to cover as with Happy Holidays, the, the whole Christmas season. You know, I mean, and it was really big. I think it was again in the 1800s is when it really started. So again, you've got something that initially was specifically Christmas that now we've allowed to broaden because there's so many other holidays in the area. But people who really are sticklers are going like, well, this isn't really Christmas now. But it was all along. Yeah, I think we all have to chill on these things, actually. But speaking of chilling, I'm going to mention now a word that Kathy hates and to see what she has to say about it and see what Fletcher has to say. <laughs> to gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I still can't do that one. I can't make gift into a verb. This killed me because I hate it. I hate it with a passion. There's some when you see an ad's gift her with a bottle of perfume. It's like give, give her is a lot simpler. You know the horrible thing, Fletcher, because I think you're like I am. It's been a verb since the 16th century. And I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it's killing me. <laughs> I'm going to mention something on that though. There was an interesting rant I read. On a pot, on a, uh, it wasn't, it was a website. And the guy said he was ranting against gift as well. And he said the first, first thing that usually happens with someone defending it is they find an old citation from the 1500s and go, aha, look at this. They used to say gift back in 1510. And it could be very obscure. It could be one, you know, peasant somewhere talking to someone else. Then they go back to the dictionary and they find some other word that we now use that people ranted about back in the 20 years ago. And he mentioned the word contact. Contact as a verb. I contacted him. That was, everyone hated using that word as a verb. It's a noun. And it was, by pure chance, I'm reading a book on Nuremberg and uh, the Nuremberg trials. And in there, the British judge specifically criticizes the barbaric Americans who use contact as a verb. Sir Norman Burkett uh, said he was thrilled to be leaving the Americans because he wanted to get rid of their, he said the Germans may have been guilty of murdering people, the Americans murdered the tongue of English. So I guess in the answer, what we're saying is it's happening, it's here, it's going to happen, and it's, the, you know, it's, it's over. Gift is now a verb. Does it seem like more people 
have used gifted more recently to you all because to Absolutely. me yeah i don't remember like when i was a kid at all no it's one of those things as ross said you know things go in and out and even it was used back in the 16th century and it has been used since then i mean like the oed has quotes from like the 1600s the 1700s the 1800s but it did kind of fade out and seinfeld a lot of people think seinfeld is what brought it back oh regifting right regifting yeah they think that that was and i've got to admit just from a, a personal when I think about it, that's kind of when it did start coming back, I think. Because you didn't really see it. And suddenly now in ads in particular, it's constant. And I still say give. I, I still it still just sticks in my craw. But I mean, it's I mean, you, I don't think you can fight it. Can I throw something out, though? I'm just curious what you guys think. Part of me feels I gave Kathy my cat. I gifted Kathy, my cat. I think there's a useful difference. There's a specificity with gifting. You're saying. In one case, I gave Kath my cat because I hate my cat, and she she said she would take care of it. In other <laughs> sense, I said, Kathy, here's a How cat dare for you. you. As a present. Here, here is a gift. Yeah, and I, I think it's to some degree, I, I get. Then you otherwise, I would say I gave Kathy my cat as a gift, or I gave Kathy my cat. And there's a difference, and it's quicker to say, I gifted Kathy my cat. It has mm-hmm. a slightly different... I, I actually think you've got a point. I, as much as I don't wish... I mean, I wish you didn't, because I still hate... I just do hate it. But I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that there is a specificity when you say to gift rather than to give. Because it is, I'm giving it as a gift, as opposed to I'm giving it. It is quicker than saying giving it as a gift. Uh, no, you're you're right. You are right. I'm not going to use it, and it's still going <laughs> to... It's still going to bother me when other people do, but I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to tell them that. I don't tell them that now. It's, it's like, it's fine. But yeah, you've got, you, as Kathy said, you, you have a very good point. Well, that's like, have you guys noticed invite instead of invitation? It's a similar thing that gets on my nerves and people say, did you get an invite? I think that's an internet thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because that one sticks in my, that's another one that gets on my nerves a little bit. Because I always feel sort of like, you know, like a bad, fake hillbilly, Beverly Hillbillies. Like, do you get the invite? You know what I mean? What's funny is I, I, I do use that when I'm referring to an internet invitation. And invi- uh-huh. and I don't know if it's just because it seems a little more casual. Maybe an invitation is, you know, an official thing that I got in the actual mail or someone called me and invited me, whereas an invite is an email I got and I click, yes, I'm going. Uh-huh. Well, here we go back with the find an old example of it. I just looked it up in the... Oxford English Dictionary, we have 1659. Bishop Cramner gives him an earnest invite to England. However... Ha, I beat you. 1628 <laughs> okay. I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. An example. <laughs> but in both... I think in my case, it says it's an informal colloquial usage. It's not a uh, correct usage they're saying. Because here they have Ovid's Metamorphosis exp- uh, Englished. And it says, such be to me, she said, as when the invites of Luno sub- summon you to Venus right. So mainly poetry, interestingly enough, it was I'm seeing. Sure. Imagine for scanning lines or, or, you know, rhymes, it's probably easier to have invite than invitation. Interesting, though. Again, though, I do think that there's like a that with that, I agree with you, Fletcher. So there's a certain it's it's sort of Internet. It's a little more cash than saying invitation. Yeah, that, that's what it is. It, it's it's. It feels more casual. It just doesn't feel as as big and official and, you know, I didn't it doesn't have perfume on it or something. <laughs> I still don't like invite a whole lot and I don't like gift. I'm sorry. I'm just going back to that. I, I'll handle any of the Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday season greetings. I can do any of those. But I, I, I don't like saying gift. 
um, I'm just trying to get my head around that still. No, I'm on your side there. Uh, Ross, Ross's point is taken, and certainly I'm not going to criticize anyone else, but it's still going to bother me, and I'm not going to say it. Yeah. I'm not going to say it either. It doesn't particularly bother me when it's used, but I'm not going to say it. I can't. So we're all agreed. <laughs> Yay! Happy holidays! Happy holidays! Yeah, right! <laughs> and I'll contact both of you in the new year, so... <laughs> For an invite? Yeah. For an invite. <laughs> and I may gift you a few things, too. Well, I think I'm going to troll a song in a few minutes. <laughs> Okay, it's been a bit since we've talked listener questions, which isn't to say we haven't been getting them, and hopefully we've at least been answering you through email, although there's at least one of you I know I owe a fairly long answer to. Sorry about that. But you guys have gotten multiple questions about one thing in particular. Why don't you tell us about that? This is a very timely one, obviously, with the Joe Biden No Malarkey Tour, and we've gotten a couple of emails. The most pithy was Tim from New York, my old once, said, you've probably been asked this already, but where the heck did malarkey come from? Which was an interesting question because it's been rising a lot because of uh, Joe. And Ross, do you want to start? Or it's, This is like a debatable one, actually. Where did malarkey come from? There's, there's a lot of conversation about it. Well, I'll throw out the Greek, since I'm the Greek one here. There's some thought that it comes from um, a Greek word. Uh, in, in modern Greek, it's malakos, which means soft or the derivative malakia, which um, both of which are, they mean soft, but it, they're also, you'll hear it if you go to Greece and you bump into someone rudely, because it also means uh, various pejoratives in English referring to certain soft appendages or <laughs> the act of making said appendage soft uh, upon vigorous activity. So those are both a little bit... Um, off color for the Greeks, but not as much. I mean, they can be used correctly as well, but usually it's used, but it's often used in a pejorative sense. And there's some thought the malarkey came from that, but I personally don't believe it. Yeah, most people say it's it's from Irish American, not Irish Irish, but Irish American. Um, the OED says that you first saw it published in 1929, and it was um, they it supposedly came from an Irish. Uh, cartoonist Thomas Aloysius Dorgan who um, it's apocryphal he says he drew this uh, a cartoon at a 1901 baseball game at the polo grounds and it had a hot dog in it so here we go back to in Ross's thing the hot dog makes me think back to the malaka <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I could be wrong. yeah but then uh, it it used the word malarkey in um, a cartoon of his in 1922 and then he used the word Malachi, as in Malachi, the, the Irish name, and called meaning nonsense. So then it became to malarkey, which they now say is what it was, nonsense. But a lot of people say that's wrong, too. And um, they say that it wasn't used as much by, uh, it was used more in Wisconsin and Indiana, not like the East Coast where most Irish immigrants were. And it doesn't have gay, and they don't see it anywhere in Irish English. So I think the conclusion is we have no idea. I think there's one thing further to be said about the use of malarkey, though. It, it's an old-fashioned word. People don't use it very frequently. And I think it was not a very good idea for Joe Biden to use it. It reminds me of in the 60s, 
the word groovy went in and went out really quickly. Awesome has gone in and out. It's always, that's the one danger of slang and of using slang in very popular contexts. Your slang, my slang is very outdated compared to young people's, younger people's slang or whatever. And I think that was, I don't think that was a particularly good, I'm not making any comment on Biden, the candidate, but I'm making a comment on Biden, the uh, use, the uh, use of the word for the uh, campaign. They should have called it the no poppycock tour. <laughs> well, there's an awkwardness to that. I don't that. know, but people are talking about it. You yeah. know? <laughs> I do want to point out one thing. Um, the linguist Ben Zimmer actually wrote about malarkey again recently. He's written about it before. And, and he, he mentioned, um, going back to, to the baseball, the sports writers, that there was there were a couple baseball players with the last name Malarkey. Malarkey, yeah. And uh, one of them was described as being erratic and flighty, and they said that his uh, the, the teams they played against uh, were sometimes overwhelmed by too much Malarkey. And then the, they used the same phrase again later on to refer to a different player named Malarkey. And he's not necessarily saying this is absolutely where it came from, but it goes back to sports writers kind of enjoying this term and throwing it into their writing. And that's pretty interesting to me. Again, back to the back to the Irish, uh, back to the the sports angle on that. Well, this I like that because so many sports writers are so colorful, especially back in the in the twenties, teens, and twenties. Yeah, exactly. But we've got a lot of words. I mean, I'm a Damon Runyon nut. I love um, Red Adair. I mean, the writing is just fabulous. So I personally love that theory. I don't know that it's true, but I like it a lot. They started actually back when Biden was in the um, debates last, whenever he was, you know, back when he was going for VP with Obama and he started using, and that's when there's suddenly you pop up all these articles saying, what's he talking about this malarkey? It reminds me of Dad, Ross. Do you remember Dad used it? Yeah, it's interesting. Steinbeck used it. I didn't know that. Oh, it's, it's used a lot. Yeah, it's been really used. Yeah. The problem is, is it's not used much now. I mean, it, yeah. it is, as you said, it's a dated word. Yeah. I mean, it's like we don't use the word hokum or claptrap or balderdash. We do use gobbledygook a little more, but not as much. That seems sort of 60s. That reminds me on the subway in New York City, you know, misused uh, uh, words. There was a young uh, Asian woman reading and clearly uh, not from the States. And she was reading a book, uh, Easy English or, or something like that. And one of the phrases, they had it in Chinese underneath they had what she should say in English and it was Ballyhoo really sells and I felt so sorry for her I, I tried to even gesture that Ballyhoo is not a word you use in New York ever but it really sells <laughs> so I've heard <laughs> I will say one thing about malarkey versus ballyhoo or balderdash. It does, maybe it's because of the Irish thing, but it does feel more working class to me for some reason. And that's, absolutely, you're absolutely. Ooh. I agree. You're right. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely the idea or the feel that that Joe Biden goes for. You know. Yeah. So it might be, actually, I might be very wrong. It might be a good word then in that sense. Well, because it's really no BS. Old fashioned, back to the basics, working class guy. Yeah. Maybe it's good. Yeah, the old Uncle Joe, I, I know what you're going through type of thing. Which goes back to two points we've made throughout this podcast. One, that there are a lot of peripheral attached meanings to words. So words don't have, not only don't have fixed meanings, a lot of times they have very fuzzy meanings. And second, words are very contextual. And in the sense that I criticize the use of the uh, word malarkey, in the context where it's being used, it might be a very correct 
usage and a very good so uh, third you and i can be wrong often yeah. <laughs> i don't like the fi- don't i don't me. like that final <laughs> conclusion <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Looking for gift ideas? There they are. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works, and you can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. One word we didn't get to that we kind of wanted to is Yule, Y-U-L-E. I'm not going to go into the history or the etymology of the word, as I've tried to stress many times. I'm not the expert here, which both makes me feel a little silly sometimes and also kind of gets me off the hook for having to really know what I'm talking about. But I've been kind of impressed by how many words people have created that use Yule in them. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's sort of a catch-all at this point for the Christmas season. But still, there are some nutty words out there. In the Shetland Islands, they have a term called Yulescrep. That's when you smack a child's bottom when they're misbehaving at Christmas time. A Yule Starn is a star that's especially bright in the night sky. Seems appropriate. A Yule Shard, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Yule Shard. That's someone who still has a lot left to do on Christmas Eve. And that's me every dang year. And then a Yule Hole is the notch in your belt you have to go down to after you've eaten too much at Christmas dinner. We all know that one, whether it's Christmas or not. No idea really how much any of these words was ever used. I just found them while I was poking around, but they're pretty fun. One other that I really like that's not Christmas-related at all, but is good for this time of year, refers to when you make a really big snowball by rolling a smaller snowball through a bunch of snow. That, that's called a hogamadog. Because, of course it is. What else would you call it? Okay, see you in the new year.